The text for this morning's sermon is Luke 22, 54 through 62. Luke 22, 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour still, another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Uh, Father, these are your very words. Uh, So many people want to hear from the Lord, and yet the Lord speaks through the Scripture as the Holy Spirit helps us understand and and father i pray that this word would not just go into our ears and be interesting but that it would change us that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word but that we would do be doers of the word Uh, father give us insight into our own pride have mercy on us that we might be humbled and be used of you. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The title of the message is Peter's Painful School of Humility. I didn't have enough room to write all your names in there, so you guys can just plug it in. We've all been to a version of Peter's painful school of humility. And the school is still in session. And the question is, is are you learning anything? Are you passing the class? Are you like one of those students who no matter how long they sit there, no matter how painful it gets very little progress is made? Are you one of those who learns from this school? That's, that's the question. This morning's sermon is going to be exciting because Peter is the main character in it. Many things we can say about Peter, but one thing we have to say is when Peter's around, we can't take our eyes off him. 
<laughs> He's the, our favorite character other than Christ in the narrative, in the story. He's not always the smartest, but he is the most interesting. There's so much I think we can learn from this text. So what I want to do is I want to look at the narrative and then I want to ask the question, how did Peter end up at this place? How did he end up at the point where he is cursing and swearing that he knows not Christ? Last week we saw the disciples be approached by the mob as they come to arrest Christ. Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear and Jesus heals it. Jesus says, stop this. And in verse 54, we read, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Now we can bolster uh, Luke's account here with some of the other accounts. We get a little more information from John 18, 15. We read that Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And that was likely John. John never wanted to name himself uh, in his gospel. And uh, we read in John 18.15, Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So maybe the way Peter got into this courtyard is because he was with John, and John was known by the high priest. Uh, and then we read in verses uh, 12 through 14 of John's account, the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. They led him first to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient for one, that one man should die for the people. So Annas is Caiaphas's father-in-law. He used to be the high priest. Uh, he still has power, evidently. People still look up to him. And so when we read, when Luke says that he was led into the courtyard of the high priest, there's both Annas and Caiaphas there. Evidently, Jesus started this, uh, entered into the sham trial going between before Annas, the high priest, and, and then Caiaphas. And once morning comes, the illegal uh, uh, trial in the middle of the night, which it was illegal for them to hold a trial in the night, had to be reenacted in the morning uh, with the Sanhedrin and everyone there. But uh, this is the context in which things are happening. Uh, 
Matthew bolsters it just a little bit. He says, then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards uh, to see the end, to see what was going to happen. So they arrest Christ. The disciples fled with the exception of two Peter's following close uh, behind. Then in verse 56, we read, Then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light, looking closely at him. So the fire is burning. It would be cold. This is the middle of the night. And in the springtime, and, and the light is hitting his face. And the servant girl, seeing him, said, this man was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Lenski writes, it took only a menial maid to fell the chief of the twelve. A little girl. Gone were all his high heroic protestations to Jesus. Gone all the spurious courage from his heart and from the hand that had snatched out the sword in Gethsemane. Here stands the errant crowd who is on, or here stands the errant coward who is unable to confess his heavenly Lord and cringes in lying denial at the mere presence of a little girl. And then in verse 58 says, a little later, someone else saw him. In the Greek, someone else is in the masculine. So uh, Luke says it was a, a man. Uh, Mark says it was a girl. And the same girl, and then uh, Matthew says it was a different girl. And what you have here, sometimes we think of these stories so linear, we, we think of Jesus' three denials to three people as though this takes place in like a play setting. But the reality is, is there's the crowd, and you're around the fire, and what happens in real life is someone says this man was with him people don't just shut their ears off they talk and so we have different angles of the same event happening and then a servant girl seen him are in verse 58 a little later someone else saw him and said you also are one of them but see but peter said man i am not and then in verse 59, after an interval of about an hour, so maybe he's in this courtyard for two hours, still another insisted saying, certainly this man was also with him for he too is a Galilean. His accent would have given him away. And this third one is with certainty, certainly 
He too is a Galilean. John tells us that this third person, ironically, John 18, 26, says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? So Malchius's relative, Malchius is the man who got his ear cut off, is this third one who came and said, certainly you were with him. Luke is nice to Peter. In verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Matthew gives us a few more details. Matthew 26, 74. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. MacArthur writes about that. He says, what had begun as a single lie to a single girl had escalated into a fury of lying denials to many of the bystanders in the courtyard accompanied with cursing and swearing. The type of deal that's like, I swear on my life, a curse beyond my life if I know this man. And Luke, only Luke, records it like he does. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. If there's ever a verse that has pathos in it, you can feel this moment. He turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord that he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went out. Mark says he broke down and wept. And the question that is before us is how did he get to this point in his life? What happened that had led up to the point where he would put a curse on himself, swearing that he never knew the Lord that he just confessed he would die for? What a unique man. A few moments earlier, he was ready to die for him. I mean, almost a thousand people and he grabs a sword? Interesting man. So here's what I want to do. I want to go back, and this is fun because it's Peter. But it's convicting too because we can learn from Peter. What has Peter been through? What do we know he's been through from the text of Scripture up to this point? What has he been missing? How did he end up at this point in his life? Back when Jesus called him, way back at the beginning of his ministry in Luke 5, 
We read in verse 3, if you want to turn there, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll put the nets down. What do we see about Peter? Peter knows, right? Are you kidding me? You're going to give me, the fisherman, the fishing advice? You can almost read in the text the eye roll. If you said it, I'll put the nets down, right? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats and they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at his knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Yes, this is the right response. Peter didn't think it was going to work. Jesus said to do it. And Jesus was right. And he knew this was a miracle. And he knew this wasn't just a mere man. And he sees his sin. Don't you love Peter? Yes. This is the right response. In light of what Christ has done. But he's got a thick skull. Maybe for the average person, this miracle, this experience, that moment of terror would have been enough. But it wasn't. In Matthew 14 in verse 27, you remember when the disciples we're out in a boat at night and there's a storm and Jesus knows they're being tossed to and fro and a scary night turns more terrifying. I don't know what it's like in a storm in the pitch black out at sea, but it gets especially scary when a ghost is walking on the water. That's what they thought they saw. And they were afraid. And any sane person would be afraid. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. I don't know, a ghost might say they're Jesus. I don't know. But Peter says, if it's you, let me come out to you. The average person doesn't do this. Peter has courage. He has gusto. He has a risk-taking element to his character that when he sees the ghost, what he, they all think the ghost. He says, let me come to you. Prove to me you're Jesus. And he gets out on the water and he's walking on the water. And then we see his flaw. He looks, takes his eyes off, Jesus and begins to sink and Christ lifts him up and saves him and says, why do you doubt? 
You were walking on the water. Why do you doubt? Why do you take your eyes off me? And so you add up those two experiences. You would think that would be enough. Trust Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is probably going to be right when Jesus talks. And then Jesus says, who who do you say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Jesus says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He makes the profession the first disciple to just make it, just say it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Jesus being kind to him says, you didn't get that from yourself. Peter, you might become proud by saying this statement, you being the first one. But in Matthew 16, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. But it seems like Peter gets maybe a little puffed up in his right answer because a moment later when Jesus says, I mean, and you can kind of understand it a little bit. So you're blessed, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. My Father in heaven... Upon you, upon this testimony, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't stand against it. You've been given the keys. You can kind of see how Peter's like, man, I knew it was the right answer, but this is, this is, you could see how he could be puffed up. Well, then Jesus says he's going to die. And the text literally tells us in, in, Matthew 16, verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Who's he rebuking? He's rebuking the one who was sinking their boat with fish. He's rebuking the one who was walking on the water. He began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said, To Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter had become the mouthpiece of Satan. Satan does not want Christ to die on the cross. And yet it's Peter of all people that has become the one whom Satan can speak through. And then right after that, In Luke, Peter, James, and John get called up to the Mount of Transfiguration where they get to see Jesus transfigured in this glorious state. And Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus and the disciples come out of whatever type of sleep they were in. And he sees this glorious scene and then he sees Elijah and Moses walking away. And Gotta love Peter, right? 
Whoa, 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 this, this good thing shouldn't stop. Let me build three tents so they all can stay here. Peter wants to stay in this glorified moment, in this glorified state. You can hardly blame him. Jesus is talking about going to a cross. And, and Peter saying, no, let's just stay here right now. I mean, who's going to talk in this? But he cries out, comes up with the best idea he has. I'll build a tent for them. They don't have to go. If they're in their glorified body, do they really need a tent? I think God has this figured out. And the text even says Peter doesn't even know what he's saying. But he's saying it. And then a dark cloud comes over top of them. And God, the Father, speaks out of heaven and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, I don't know about you. Well, you can probably be pretty stubborn because you're probably like me. But this was not enough for Peter to listen to Jesus yet. When God speaks out of heaven, when you're terrified from a voice from heaven, it was still not enough. And then they're sitting around the table at the Last Supper. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Disciples start talking. Who's it going to be? I can tell you who Peter thinks it's not going to be. It's not going to be him. He's confessed Jesus is Christ. God revealed it to him. He's blessed, right? He got called up on the mountain. And the reason why I think Peter's leading that conversation is because right after that, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, calls him by his original earthly name and says, Satan has demanded to sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith will not fail. So, when you come back, restore the brothers. He should listen to Jesus. Jesus hasn't been wrong yet. Jesus has proven himself to Peter, but you know how Peter responds. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now let's just, we just got to slow down. We read too fast. Jesus, the one who's done all the miracles, the one whom God says, listen to him, says, Satan is looking at you and he wants to sift you guys. Peter says, nah. Yeah, you're praying for me that my faith doesn't fail. I got this. Now, what's he, what, what's he grabbing from? Peter loves Jesus. <laughs> if he didn't love Jesus, he wouldn't be in the courtyard. 
He loves them. He knows he loves them. But what he's fooled with is he thinks that human affection for Jesus is going to be able to take on the onslaught of the devil and the spiritual enemy. He says, no, I got this. So they go to the garden. Jesus says, pray so that you may not enter temptation. He should have listened to him. He didn't. He slept. All that led up to what we read today. How did Peter end up here? Peter had courage. He had guts. He had gusto. This guy, I mean, I, I mean, it's probably a bad illustration. I remember when the Vikings just hired Mike Zimmer. And they had a soft-spoken coach before that. But Mike Zimmer blitzed everybody at the end of a game and they threw a bomb and scored a touchdown. And the reporters afterwards said, what were you thinking? And he says, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die with guns in my hands shooting. That's Peter. He's going to go down. There's something we ought to admire in Peter. He's going to make the move. He's going to take the risk. No matter what group he's in, he's going to be the leader of that group. Not many people have that. Not many of you have or maybe can relate to what Peter had. But as it is for most of us, hiding within our greatest strength is often our greatest weakness. Hiding within the thing you're best at is potentially your greatest weakness. Peter's great courage was clearly poisoned with self-confidence and self-dependence. This doesn't mean his courage ought not challenge us to be more courageous. It doesn't mean there's nothing good in it. It just means anything we do as Christians, even when we're doing our best thing, it can be mixed with sin. And it can be mixed with the type of sin that can bring devastating results Peter's great courage was clearly poisoned with self-confidence, whereas Christ's courage, his great courage and leadership as God incarnate was a result of total reliance on the Father and of the Spirit. Jesus is courageous. Peter's courageous. Jesus is God in the flesh and when God in the flesh is on this earth, he relies 100% on his Father and on the Spirit. And Peter didn't. Peter had self-confidence, self-dependence. Peter's self-confidence caused him not to listen to Christ carefully, but rather led him to correct Jesus. Jesus. 
That should have been crazy. He should have been listening more careful. He should have been ready to accept God's narrative rather than the narrative that he thought he could bring about by his own strength and his own wisdom. He didn't think he needed to listen or to pray because he thought his passion and courage was enough. It was surely faith that caused him to walk on the water. It was. He believed he could do it if Jesus said to do it. And then that faith was linked also to doubt. And so Jesus is continually telling the disciples, ye of little faith, or why do you doubt? Peter desperately needed to see that Jesus is always right and that he is weak and sinful and that Jesus is not. What this caused for Peter is a lack of perspective that was earthly minded and not spiritual minded. He had the willingness. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Peter had the narrative in his head. He had it figured out how it was going to go, and it was earthly-minded. He wasn't listening carefully to what Jesus was saying was going to happen to both himself on the cross and to Peter in his denials. But here we have Peter, what I think, finally in a sense, hitting rock bottom. You see a change in Peter. Was his faith perfect after this? No. Do I think this is the moment in God's good kindness? This look from Christ, this being brought to remembrance of what Christ said, that it's time to quit depending on himself and trusting in Christ's plan. And the question for you is, where are you at in this school? Where are you at? Are you at the point where you really think Jesus and you can do this thing? Have you hit rock bottom? to where you're ready to surrender all that you know of what surrender looks like to Christ, it's not going to be perfect surrender. Where are you at in your school of God humbling you? Because Christ can use you for His glory in a couple different ways. He can use you like He used Pharaoh. And He can pour out His wrath upon your stubborn on belief in your foolishness and show how the wicked are destroyed. Or he can use you like he used Paul, who before God could use the apostle Paul had to humble him, had to bring him all the way down. Or before Peter is going to lead in this restoration of the brothers and bring them together and preach the sermon in Acts 2 and Acts 4 with 
all of Peter's courage, this Jesus whom you crucified, he has, it's the same Peter in one sense, but it's trusting in God's power and not his own. So where are you at in your life? How long is it going to take? The way of sin is hard. The way of rebellion is hard, a hard path. Put, your, put no confidence in the flesh, but God alone. Trust Jesus, not yourself. Pray. Pray prayers when you begin to recognize in your own life. You're not doing it by your own wisdom and your own strength and your own power. Repent. You see tears of repentance and brokenness and cling to the grace of Christ, which we're going to see in a moment. We're going to see Christ restore him. There's three general ways. I'm sure there's more, but as far as I was thinking about it, it seemed like there's three general ways we respond to difficulty or pressure. One would be how Peter did. Peter did it on steroids. I doubt anyone does it quite like Peter did here, but you probably tend towards one of these more. Self-dependence. Respond with great effort. You got a plan. You got wisdom. You're going to figure it out. Or with bitterness. The one who responds with bitterness often becomes paralyzed in that bitterness. The difficulty happened. How can God be good if my life turned out this way? And so a bitterness or an anger begins to build, which often results in paralyzing a person, putting a wedge between them and God, the goodness of God. The number one lie Satan wants to sell you is the same lie in the garden, which is God is not good. God's holding out on you. Satan comes, he points to difficult circumstances in your life, and he says, see, he's not good. And if you believe that lie, bitterness and anger and a lack of trust and a lack of listening to Jesus will become a bad habit in your life. And obviously the third way is to trust God in his, and His grace and function with the grace that He supplies. Now wouldn't it be great, Christians, if we all just did number three? That's just what we did. But we all struggle, probably with both bitterness in times of struggle and with self-confidence. But I really want you to ask yourself, how do I struggle? How do I respond? Where am I at in this school, painful school of being humbled by God? God working weakness into our lives so that he can lift us up and exalt us and glorify himself uh, through our lives. 
In John chapter 21, we see the restoration of Peter in verse 15. This is after Jesus has been resurrected and he, he was on earth. Uh, he was seen over a course of 40 days. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now you remember how, they, how Peter got to the shore, right? They're out in the boat and Jesus is calling from the shore and the average person waits for the boat to pull in. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims into the shore because that's what he does. And he's having breakfast with Christ. And he said to, and uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's saying, you know, I love you with like a brotherly type love, not with this rich God-like type of love. I think Peter's gun shy to be too self-confident in his own profession here. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Yes, Jesus put him through the school of three denials. And he restores him three times. Gives Peter three opportunities to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what's happened between his denials and that opportunity to love Christ was Jesus bearing Peter's sins on that cross. Dying for them. So that he can be forgiven. So that he can be fully restored. So the fourth charge in this sermon is cling to the grace of Christ. Don't sit there and weep and repent in how sinful you are and how wicked you are and throw yourself a pity party for very long without turning your head to the cross and seeing your redemption and remembering that you've been made a son or daughter of God in Jesus Christ with all your sins washed away. Father, we can be slow in learning. But Father, would you by your grace use this word this morning? Would you carry us along in our learning? Father, would you help our hearts come to you more often? Would you bring about true repentance in this room right now in people's hearts as they try to hang on to you with one hand and then do it in their own strength, in their own power and wisdom with the other. Father, humble us so that we can be used. Father, I pray, I do pray that you give us the 
type of courage that we see in Peter. That you be glorified in that. That it, we would respond in action. Father, Lord, I thank you for your grace because all of us can identify not with the sinless Christ, but with Peter. But Father, I thank you that Christ has identified with us as sinners. Lord, I pray that no one here would go on living another moment of their life without clinging to the only hope they have. And that's the Son of God dying on the cross for the sins of anyone who would put their trust in Him. Father, would you create the faith to believe that even now? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.